This is a Sport Australia podcast production. Hello and welcome to the Sport Governance podcast series. My name is Kate Corkery and I am the Director of Sport Governance and Strategy at Sport Australia. Over this series, we will take a deep dive into the sport governance principles and how they come to life in practice. Each podcast will focus on an individual principle with a special guest joining me to share their experiences and practical advice with respect to that principle. In today's episode, we are focusing on principle four, the players, a diverse board to enable considered decision-making. Principle four highlights that a board should be a diverse group of people who collectively provide different perspectives and experience to facilitate more considered decision-making. We are privileged to be joined by Pippa Downs to discuss this critical principle. Pippa has over 25 years experience in global financial services in Australia, Asia, and the US. Pippa was a managing director of Goldman Sachs in Australia for over six years. Pippa is a commissioner of the Australian Sports Commission and is a director of Australian Technology Innovators, ZIPCO, ALE Property Group and Ingenia Community Limited. Pippa is a former director of Swimming Australia and Sydney Olympic Park. Pippa is also a dual international athlete, having swum for Australia and represented Hong Kong in the Rugby Sevens. Hello Pippa and thank you for joining me to discuss this significantly important principle that underpins good governance. Thanks, Kate. Delighted to be with you today. So let's start with benefits. What are the benefits of diversity to a board? Well, look, I think the research is very clear that when you have a diverse board, better better decisions are made and you're less likely to miss things. So, uh, you know, then if you have a, a group of like-minded individuals and the role of the board is so critical in setting the strategy and for an organisation that you really can't afford to not to have a suboptimal board and miss things. So, you know, a diverse group of people is is uh, really the only way to go. And when we talk about sport, quite often matters relating to conflict of interest come up in terms of diversity. How has that played out for you? It, it's very interesting, right? I mean, when, you, when you're on a board, you have a duty to the organisations to, to do the right thing. And I think what I've sort of encountered through some of you know my dealings with sports governance is people come onto the board and they come with their little patch that they feel like they're representing. But when you come onto a board, you need to leave that at the door because you're trying to represent the sport as a whole. And I think sometimes people miss that they have a fiduciary duty to the whole sport and the whole organisation and they're not in there batting for their little patch. So everybody has to be doing what is in the collective best interest of the sport, not what perhaps they're, you know, where they came from. So if they're a coach, for example, or if they're a high-performance athlete, you've got to look at the big picture when you're on a board and I think sometimes people don't quite understand that and I think uh, you know there there are conflicts that arise I've seen it myself and sometimes that comes because people don't understand the duties of a director to act in the best interest of the whole organization Um, but I think that comes through education and I think you know I think increasingly people do understand what a conflict is and if it sort of smells like it something might not be right there's probably a pretty good chance that there's a conflict going on. We have conversations about the importance of elected directors and the importance of appointed directors. How does this interrelate with a principle around diversity? I think one of the, the, the lessons that I certainly learnt when I was on the board of the Swimming Australia, one of the problems we have with the federated models is that the elected directors, like any politician, frankly, I don't, you know, I think there's a reason why elected politicians generally uh, continually rate quite quite low in the public's perception of them, rightly or wrongly, because they are seen to be making short-term decisions for the, the electoral cycle. I think 
Um, you know, and, and, you know, what I certainly witnessed in the swimming uh, world when I was on the board not, so, you know, many years ago is that some of the directors were scared to make some of the, the right decisions because they were worried about being elected. And that's the beauty of an independent, the independent directors who can come in, oftentimes they may or may not, like obviously I was very involved in swimming, but I hadn't been around the sport for 20 years. So I was able to come in with a very fresh perspective I didn't. I hadn't been involved, so I didn't have sort of a, a preconceived notion about what the right ideas were for the sport. I think what you can find the people that have, you know, been involved in the sport for so so long, they sometimes may lose the perspective. I mean, the world's rapidly changing, and sports also need to adapt. Like c companies have to adapt. If you don't adapt, you die, and you, you end up out of business. And unfortunately, sports are in the same way. I mean, we've seen it this year with COVID. Just how quickly we've seen the professional sports having to lay off people and adapt their operating models. So you need to, to be able to do that, you need to have a fresh perspective. Independent directors have that ability because they don't have to face face the, the members, I guess, for a certain period, which gives them a little bit of flexibility to be able to sort of make those long-term decisions uh, that may not be popular, but, you know, as we know, sometimes you do need to make uh, decisions that might not be popular in the short term, but are obviously in the best interest of the sport in the long term. And I think, I think a lot of sports are learning, you know, just in the last, uh, you know, nine months with COVID that sometimes you've got to make some tough decisions to keep the sport liquid, you know, when, uh, when sports stopped and membership, you know, fees didn't come in, you know, it's been a very tough time for sports. Volunteers haven't been engaged and that forces, uh, you know, decisions that, that, and strategic decisions that the board have to make that sometimes perhaps some parts of the sport may not be happy with, but ultimately the board has to make the best long-term decisions that's in the long-term interest of the sport. Indeed, and I've certainly had many discussions with directors over the last six or nine months about the fact they, they came onto a sport board because they wanted to see it thrive. They never expected that they would be in conversations about it collapsing. And, and that's certainly been um, a bit of a reality check for a lot of our directors on, on sport boards over the last six months. What attributes create diversity on a board? Diversity comes in uh, many different forms, but ultimately I think you need people with diverse backgrounds and perspectives for a start. I think you need people with diverse uh, experiences, a life experience and sport experience. So, for example, you know, it's I don't think it's valuable to necessarily have, for example, on a, a rugby board, have 10 guys that used to play rugby because, you know, let's face it, you know, they're going to have a, a quite similar perspective. So I think, you know, having very different perspectives is valuable. Uh, I think having diverse backgrounds is very valuable. So, for example, you know, I think if I think of, say, something like the sport of cricket, you know, it's a very popular sport in some of the Southern Asian uh, parts of the Australian community. And, you know, if you're thinking about participation, you know, it would be wise to, to, to want to have the, the viewpoint of some of the people from that community, I would think. Um, and you obviously need diverse skill sets, both educationally um, and, and what you bring to the table. Because, as you know, uh, different boards at different times need different skills, but you need the greatest amount of perspective to make sure you don't miss anything. And that's the beauty of a diverse board. And you can have robust discussions with everybody uh, asking different things. And, you know, sometimes it's great to have people that have a completely different perspective. Because I think what happens if you've got people, too many people that have got the same perspective, sometimes the big questions don't get asked. The sort of elephant in the room type questions or the dumb question, which somebody who's not as close to it might say, well, you know, actually, why are we even doing that? Which might be 
for people that have been too close to hurt, perhaps for many, many years and are very entrenched in their views, might not be able to see. And that's why it really helps to have a whole lot of different people attacking a problem from different angles. So if you're looking for these different people, you're out there, you've got a board, you recognise you need to diversify the directors either for age or gender or, or cultural and linguistic background, how do you go about doing that? Well, look, I think, I think all, for all boards to be effective, they need to really understand at any given point what their big challenges are and what the sort of basic skills that they need to be a high-performing board. And so... You know, I think it's a given that you probably need people that are financially literate, particularly, you know, you know, sports are in some challenging times financially. So, you know, so financial expertise is almost a given. But depending on the where the sport is in its life cycle and the particular challenges they're facing, you may want to beef up your skill sets in particular areas. So, as I said, if there's financial difficulties, having some accountants or experts helping you navigate that or beefing it up in that area might be wise. Uh, you know, if, if, if a sport's desperate for looking to a sponsor and, and, you know, trying to raise its profile, because at the end of the day, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there in the sports world trying to compete for dollars. So maybe you might want to get some marketing, uh, marketing people with some of that skill to sort of assist the management teams uh, to, to do that. So, you know, the board's meant to... The board isn't there to do the job of management, but it's certainly uh, able to counsel and advise. Um, you know, you might have, uh, you know, if you're going through tough times, you've got to look at how the organisation needs to change in a tough environment. You, you know, having, you know, people that are management consultants or people with HR backgrounds might be able to assist. Uh, you know, and technology is obviously a very, very big one. So it's, you know, I think increasingly sports need to compete and connect with their members and technology is the enabler in that space. So having somebody with that background. But I think really you need to have a skills matrix set up to make sure you know what you've got, look at the you know look at the people you've got on the board and work out where your holes are, and that's absolutely critical to make sure again that you don't miss stuff because a diverse board needs to be able to cover it to all its bases, or at least if they don't have it, know that they don't have it, and maybe able to even bring somebody in from the outside, um, you know, to assist on some of the more you know tricky issues that they're facing. Absolutely. And, and you have the board skills matrix to identify uh, those gaps in terms of uh, skill and personal qualities on the board. Um, you then find yourself in a position um, where uh, you've got a nominations committee to oversee the election and appointment of directors. Talk to me about um, the change in the sophistication and impact of nominations committees in sport over the past couple of years. Yeah, look, I think there's been some really uh, good work that's been done in sports like tennis that are, have really tried um, to sort of, I guess, have that lens about what the board really needs, what the sport really needs, and in a sort of a, almost a dispassionate way to say, listen, right now we need skills A, B and C. And so really, if we're filling some spots on the board, this is our immediate need in the next, you know, one to two to three years that we really need to beef up our skills in that area. And that way they can look at the candidates that are coming through and and sort of almost sort of vet them to say, look, these people can add that value to the board because we're always trying to enhance the quality of the board by beefing up the skills. I mean, that's how, I mean, it's like an athlete. And if an athlete wants to be successful, they've got to train hard, they've got to cover all their bases. If they've got a weakness, they've got to work on it. And that's how you excel. And that's how our athletes are high-performance athletes. That's how our coaches learn and, and boards have to do the same thing to understand where they're a little bit weak, how they can fill the gaps to, uh, you know, be able to assist the, the, the greater sport moving forward. 
And is it important that the voting members understand the the value and the importance of the nominations committee process in terms of um, ensuring ultimately as the people with the power of the vote, the candidates who are not suitable for the needs or the diversity of the board at any time? Well, look, I think it's I think it's absolutely important to connect with your members. I mean, you know, the sports are run for the members and, you know, there has to be absolute transparency but for the boards and the members to understand the process and why the boards are doing what they're doing. And I think the minute, you know, boards are not clear about what they're doing or the boards are not listening to their members or even, you know, there's a lot of governance reform going on now where the members, you know, frankly, sometimes they don't even have a say. And, look, I think that's problematic. So ultimately, the you know, the, the boards are there to help the sports and its members, not the other way around. So, you know, it, it's critical that the members understand the process why it's happening, be absolutely transparent about the skills that they're looking for at the time so they can understand the appointments or they can understand the the, uh, the type of candidates that are being put forward to them to vote for. Um, and, you know, but ultimately, the, you know, it's the responsibility of the chair and the board to make sure that is transparent to their members. So there's, there's sort of no backlash through that process. You've just mentioned the chair and the chair is another position on the board which modern good governance has sort of adapted in terms of its uh, appointment over recent years. And one of the key good governance concepts now is around the board appointing or electing the chair from amongst the directors. Why is that so important? That's absolutely critical. I mean, the chair is... Apart from the CEO of the organisation, the chair is the most important person. You know, they are ultimately the conduit between the board and the management team and the CEO, and they are the ones that run the meetings and optimise the discussion and, you know, the strategy coming out of that board. And it's a skill. I mean, being a good chair is a skill, and a good chair will ensure that everybody around the table gets heard, uh, that they don't impose their own views on the room, and that they're listening to everybody. And that's, you know, when you have a diverse board, which is what we need to be successful, a good chair is very skilled at doing that. Now, I've experienced absolutely the opposite. And sometimes, you know, I know when I was on the board of swimming, there was a, 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 a member elected chair. Now, sometimes that just doesn't work. I mean, you really, you know, the, the directors know who is the person that probably is best placed to have that integrity to run the board meetings and to optimise the work of the board, and I think it's absolutely critical that the directors are the one that nominate that because the members, they don't have that, you know, if the members elect their directors, they need to have that trust that the directors can choose who it is appropriate to run that and do that optimally. One of the key issues uh, that we faced in in good governance, not just in the sports sector, but but across the corporate sector, um, the not-for-profit sector, is women on boards and they are obviously a fundamental uh, input into good decision making in terms of divorce uh, diversity in 2015 sport australia applied a target of women on nso boards and that target was 40 percent representation and despite that target being in place now for five years we're still not hitting it um, and in fact worse than that for the 68 funded national sporting organization the gender balance is actually only 34 percent and has declined by one percent over the past four years and only 18 of our chairs are female which is 26 percent why do you think that is well, look, you know, I think, look, I think historically, uh, you know, you can't get away from the fact that sort of, you know, sport uh, and most businesses have been run by men. 
Um, but, you know, things have changed radically in the last few years, particularly in the sport with the participation of women. Um, so it's obviously critical. You're not going to have a diverse board making good decisions if half the population are missing from the seat at the table. So I think, you know, look, I, I, I don't know. I think... I think there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, I think, you know, unfortunately, I think some people are involved in boards. But, you know, so, you know, some people love this. Everybody loves their sports. You'd hope that they're involved for the right reasons. But sometimes people want to be with people that they're comfortable and familiar with. Uh, perhaps they don't know the women. Uh, you know, some of these boards are very political, as we know, unfortunately. And sometimes people lose sight of why they're there and the purpose of the board and whose interest they should be looking out for, which, is, of course, is the best interest of the sport as a whole. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe some women get a bit sick of it or they don't, they're not as interested in the po politics because they want to work more collaboratively. And, you know, sometimes people end up being a bit too close to the sport. And I've seen that, you know, I've got firsthand experience of people, and I'm sure anybody on a sporting board knows where people are in it potentially not for the good of the sport but for power or whatever reason or they're just you know they're so they're so close to it sometimes that they lose sight of of why they're there and perhaps you know people sort of who are there for the good of the sport you know get dis disheartened and I know I certainly know uh that was sort of my experience a few years ago in Swimming Australia and, and others but it's so critical uh for the sports that we get as many people involved from as diverse range from the volunteers to the coaches to the participants, you know, I think, uh, you know, re-engaging with, you know, the alumni of the sport and ex-athletes once they've, you know, been a successful athlete, often go on to have a different career and then they come back to the sport or maybe their kids start playing the sport. And I think having those people that have the love of the sport at their heart, maybe they're not as attached because they haven't been involved in sort of the day-to-day -day politics for the last sort of like 10 or 20 years. And, you know, sometimes people don't appreciate. Sometimes it's time to walk away, you know. You've got to let other people have a go. People can get, you know, all of us get very attached to our views and that is, that's human nature. So sometimes I think it's important that people step away from the sports to give other people a go, to get fresh perspectives on how the sport should be run. And, it, you know, you shouldn't have entrenched people running sports for ever and a day because I think, you know, unfortunately sometimes you know, they, they sort of lose sight of why they're there and, and, and moving forward. And that's why you always have to have diverse, fresh thinking to make sure you're always looking forward about how to adapt into the new world. So you've highlighted there the ways we can promote vacancies to actively seek diversity of directors. So you've spoken about re-engaging with alumni of the sport, um, using networks, um, not being afraid to reach into professional uh, community organisations and businesses. The other opportunity that there is, and, and highlighting this for our listeners, is Sport Australia actually has a national director register. Um, and you can register your interest to be on sport boards in Australia. And when sport board positions are advertised, we push that out to those who fit the criteria on our register and that's a really great opportunity for us to identify and communicate with people who are interested in being on sport boards and feel like they've got a particular skill set or capability to offer. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you think about that, how many participants in sport who love sports who go off and, you know, enter into whatever career they, they choose, who have got a lot of knowledge, a lot of passion, who want to 
funnel that in to the sport just because they love it. Like me, you know, I went swimming gave me a great opportunity to travel, to get a college education in the US. So I want to give back to the sport and there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of other athletes similar to me or perhaps their kids are kids are playing a sport and they want, you know, to make sure that that sport is well run. They can see things that probably need to change from their perspective and they may have a very different perspective from, you know, a participation perspective watching their kids than sort of a, an elite high-performance lens. And, you know, for a sport to be firing on all cylinders, you've got to get the pathways right, you've got to get the participation right, you've got to get the elite and that's why having a diverse perspective and lots of different people who are looking at the sport from different angles is the way you make sure you don't miss anything and it's, you know, thriving. Pippa, thank you so much for joining me on our Sport Oz podcast, exploring principle for the players. Uh, my pleasure, Kate. If you'd like to access a copy of the Sport Governance Principles, you'll find them at the Sport Oz website, sportoz.gov.au forward slash governance. If you have any feedback or questions, please email us at sportsgovernance at ausport.gov.au. My name is Kate Corkery and I look forward to you joining me for the next podcast in the Sport Governance series.